You're listening to episode number 44 of the Self-Care Sunday podcast, a minimalist media project by Kaylee Reed. Every Sunday, only on Sundays, I'll release a new podcast episode exploring topics like mental health, entrepreneurship, feminism, and of course, self-care. This week, I am diving into self-care in a couple different ways, one being how self-care changes when your income level changes, and the second being how my self-care really changed when I became a quote-unquote influencer on Instagram. And I use that term very lightly, but basically by that I mean somebody who started collaborating with brands and working in influencer marketing. So last week I shared the fake follower fiasco in episode number 43, of essentially what happened when I received 7,000 fake followers in a 24-hour span. For somebody that works in influencer marketing, it was incredibly stressful to deal with, and you can go back to that episode and listen to how I dealt with all of that, why it happened, why it was a bad thing, and how I practice self-care in all of that as well. It was one of the most stressful things that has happened to me recently, especially in the world of work, and I found myself really turning to and indulging in self-care in order to deal with that stress. And that's when I realized that my acts of self-care have drastically changed in the past year to past couple years based on two factors. One was becoming a quote-unquote influencer on Instagram, and two, actually having financial freedom, financial security, and my income levels changing drastically in the past year. So in this episode, I want to share how my self-care has improved, a little bit of a backstory to what self-care used to look like for me when I was a broke entrepreneur, and how money really changes and affects our mental health and lifestyle, and particularly how we indulge in self-care. So let's get into the episode. I want to start with a bit of a backstory in my financial life and my financial history. So growing up, I was super lucky. I grew up in a middle-class Canadian family, never really had to worry about money. It was never something that stressed me out. I was super blessed, super grateful, but I wasn't somebody that had like everything handed to them. I did take out student loans to pay for school. And after graduating university, I dove headfirst into building and bootstrapping a startup. Bootstrapping being the keyword here because we didn't raise external capital for this startup, which meant that we relied solely on sales and loans to survive. It also meant that I was broke AF from the time that I was 18 to 25. So starting university at 18, taking out student loans, and then graduating university, not having a real job, bootstrapping a startup, and not paying myself essentially for three years. So in university, you're used to being broke because that's kind of the culture. A lot of people have student loans, a lot of people are working their butts off in part-time jobs or multiple part-time jobs just to afford to be there. 
And so being broke in university didn't really feel like an exceptional experience because everybody around me was kind of constantly complaining about money. And I feel like that's just part of being a student at a regular public university. Afterwards, though, you are expected and supposed to pay all of that off by landing a great job and working your way up to make bank. I basically did the opposite and tried starting at the top by building my own company and made zero bank for three years. So I literally didn't take a paycheck from the company for the first two years that we were running. I scraped by with savings and kind of the help from my parents and taking on part-time jobs and random freelance gigs and eventually I started public speaking, um, sharing my mental health story and that's really what paid the bills for me. But even when I did start taking a paycheck from the company in year two, I believe, I really only paid myself enough to live. So fun fact, in tax terms in Canada, I was essentially living in poverty for the first three years of being a real adult because that's how much I was paying myself. I really was a minimalist. I scraped by and found a way to work with very little finances. And because of that, my self-care was pretty minimal, but it did exist and it was super important to me, especially because I was struggling with my mental health a lot during those times. And looking back, I do think that a big part of that was financial stress. That rippled out into basically everything else in my life. But to give you more context, when I was in university, I was diagnosed with an eating disorder and also was on medication for depression. So mental illness was something that was very present in my life in my early adult years. Didn't help that I also wasn't making any money. When I look back to university, I didn't really practice or even fully understand what self-care was. And I think that's because I was, one, so young, two, in a very strange environment, which is living on university residences and dorms. And that whole environment is not really conducive to positive mental health and self-care. But three, because I think mental health and self-care weren't really talked about as openly as they are now when I was in university. So this was only uh, four or five years ago that I had graduated from university. I started three years prior to that. So seven years ago, mental health was not a conversation that I was comfortable having. And it was something that I don't think a lot of people in our society were really talking about at all compared to how we talk about it now. I mentioned living in residence and that definitely had a poor effect on my mental health because there's a really heavy drinking culture, uh, poor sleeping and eating habits, just being a student and additionally being stressed out with kind of facing reality or some version of adult reality as a young adult in university, um, deadlines, midterms, finals. A lot of you I think are in university right now so you know what I'm talking about when I say that it can be incredibly stressful. But one thing that I reluctantly did was access free student health services and 
other free services like the gym. That is huge and something that I definitely took for granted while I was in university because at the time I was still very much in denial of my mental health issues despite doctors and nutritionists and psychologists telling me otherwise I was really hesitant to believe that I was struggling with what I was struggling with. But accessing those services became a really big part of my self-care and my self-preservation and primarily because they were free I was actually able to access them. When I graduated I lost those free services so I lost being able to see a psychiatrist or see a counselor or therapist weekly. I lost being able to go to the gym and even though Canada has free health care, you do have to pay out of pocket for the majority of these mental health services like seeing a psychiatrist, which if you have a real corporate adult job with benefits, um, typically that gets covered, but as somebody who was an entrepreneur or who is a freelancer, you don't get the luxury of being able to go see a professional when you need to, and that's something that really affected my mental health straight after university. So my self-care had to shift and what it shifted to in those early years after university was my work and my advocacy. My advocacy for mental health and mental illness in particular. It's wild looking back to me because those are the things that eventually became big stressors in my life that I had to walk away from for my self-care. But at the time, that's exactly what I needed because it's what connected me to people and what gave me purpose and what made me feel fulfilled. Along with this was Instagram and blogging and just writing about how I was feeling. So I loved Instagram in the early days because this is how I connected with so many amazing mental health advocates, so many cool women doing great things that I would just follow and be inspired by. And then I started blogging to basically share my thoughts on mental health advocacy and the struggles that I was going through. And that really helped me in those times because I didn't have a big disposable income to really focus on my mental health. So focusing on my advocacy and my work was really what was important to me in that time. And I think the lesson to take from that is that self-care can simply be about doing things that you love and are passionate about it doesn't always mean having to indulge in something or buy something or see a professional. Sometimes it can really just mean doing the things that you love, whether that's work or a hobby, whatever those things are. But of course, the stress of running a business for me began to outweigh the positives, and that's what led me to leaving my startup which you can hear all about in episode number one of this podcast, where I share why I left my startup, why I started Self-Care Sunday, and again, it all ties back to this being the thing that I love to do now and that became my self-care, and needing to walk away from negative experiences and things that were just burdening me more than they were helping me. One of the things that started happening along this whole journey of building a startup and working in mental health advocacy and traveling and speaking was that I began to grow my Instagram presence and influence, first by nature of being in the mental health community 
and then by nature of being in the startup community, and then just because I wanted to continue building my personal brand. And as I mentioned before, Instagram was something that was a self-care tool for me and that it led me to connect with cool people and it was an outlet for a lot of feelings and things that I wanted to express on certain subjects and what I was going through. So my presence began to grow and... I think around the 5k or 6k mark, I started getting outreach from a lot of brands that wanted to collaborate with me. So this is where I kind of start using the term influencer, and I use it very lightly because I know everybody has a different definition, but for the purpose of this podcast and this episode, I'm going to reference myself becoming an influencer as somebody who started working with brands to promote on Instagram. So these brands would start reaching out to me with free product. Sometimes it was clothing, sometimes it was free makeup, skincare, I've had wine sent to me, I've had food sent to me, I've had really cool experiences paid for, and these at the time were things that I couldn't afford for myself or couldn't justify paying for because I was living this really frugal lifestyle and I didn't have this disposable income to just spend $200 on makeup or go shopping and buy clothes whenever I wanted. So these things that for a lot of people with disposable income might be considered self-care started coming into my life because of my Instagram following. So taking on brand collaborations and treating myself to expensive skincare and cute clothes in exchange for an Instagram post became a big part of my self-care. At the time, I was cringing at the thought of paying even $6 for a Lush bath bomb. Seriously, I know that might sound extreme, but I very vividly remember one of my best friends telling me that she had spent $60 at Lush that day and I internally rolled my eyes, and then I laughed with her, explaining that when you are in a financially stable and lucrative situation, $6 for a bath bomb seems like nothing. Like, these costs seem like minimal for a positive self-care experience. But when you are low-income or poor or a broke entrepreneur, somebody struggling to make ends meet, you wouldn't even think about spending $60 on a Lush purchase. And yet, these brands that I would never be able to afford or justify spending money on were reaching out to me and gifting me with these products for free, just to post about them. So that's the honest truth why I got into this whole influencer space as a means to access these luxury items and treat myself and boost my self-care when I wasn't in a place financially to afford that. I think from the outside looking in, it can seem superficial sometimes. It can seem like influencers promote whatever is given their way, and I try to be very conscious and very careful of the partnerships that I take on because I do really value certain ethics and things with companies. So for example, I won't work with a makeup or a skincare brand if they test on animals. But behind the curtains of superficial, shallow, 
ads, that mentality, it was really what was my self-care during those times when I was so stressed that I couldn't even pay rent. And I know that from the outside looking in, you wouldn't expect that, but that's really the reality of what it was for me. So 2018 in general was a roller coaster because I started out unemployed, living at my parents' house, and I had just left my startup. I wasn't making any income. I didn't know what I wanted to do or how I wanted to move forward, and I was in a rut. I think I did an episode on this, it might be episode number three or four, um, about how to get out of a rut. So by February of last year, I started to take on freelance clients, and I did this because I realized I had developed so many skills from building my own startup that were really transferable to other businesses. By the end of the year, I'd gone from essentially making zero dollars for the first three months to making the equivalent of what I would make working a mid-level position at a corporate PR firm. But it took me basically 12 months of freelancing to get here. And don't be fooled, I still have a lot of student debt that I'm paying off, so with more income comes more debt repayment, which is weirdly something I'm very excited about now that I'm an adult. But essentially what I'm getting at is that for the first time in my adult life, I am financially secure and I have financial freedom and it has made the world of a difference in my mental health and in my self-care. So things that I used to gawk at before are now regular investments that I choose to make in myself. And I first noticed this last week when I was going through that fake follower semi-crisis, and one of the first things that I did was book a nail appointment which is something that I never would have done a year or two years ago. And so when I did that, I kind of took a step back and joked with my sister about how, how much things have changed for me in the past couple of years and how I really have started to view self-care differently and practice self-care differently because of my disposable income. And one thing I really want to mention is how grateful I feel to have the financial freedom now to indulge in things like that. But it did get me thinking about how vastly different self-care looks for people of different income levels. And because I've been at the bottom and I'm now working my way up, I feel like it really hits close to home for me. When you're low income, Self-care is almost always reactive and about self-preservation. Sometimes it's not even self-care, it's like self-survival. It's grasping at what you can afford and what you can do for free in order to maintain some sense of mental sanity and alleviate whatever stresses you can. I think it's almost always about appreciating the little things or looking internally and being grateful for what you have, whether that's a daily meditation or keeping a journal, reading, playing with pets. For me, it was a lot of small things to deal with negative emotion, and what that looked like was something like a Starbucks latte every day, and that would be the sole highlight of my day and the thing that I would look forward to and the thing that got me through. It's so small, but means so much because that becomes the treat that you can give yourself. When you're financially secure, self-care starts to look very different because it almost looks proactive and more like a treat. 
You can afford to get your nails done regularly, to eat out if you're too tired to cook, to get a gym membership. That one, to me, was revolutionary because the idea of spending a hundred plus dollars a month on physical activity when I could just go for a run outside was like this otherworldly concept being somebody who did not have a disposable income. And I think that's why now I really view making money as this huge part of my self-care. Because money doesn't cure mental illness, but it sure as heck alleviates a lot of financial stress and allows you to enjoy other parts of your life and do things that you love without always worrying about your bank balance. Being at this place now and looking back even just a year or two years ago, I think I really used to resent people that made more money than me and resent the ways that they indulged in self-care because I saw it as superficial and consumerist and a waste. But being on the other side, it's really interesting because I'm kind of dealing with a value conflict of who I was and what really matters to me ethically, as well as wanting to practice self-care and indulge in things that I can simply because I can. I know saying that out loud might sound shallow or selfish, but having come from a place over the past three to four years of never really indulging in myself, it's just been this really nice thing that I'm incredibly grateful for and I don't want to feel guilty about because I feel like I worked really hard to get to where I am now. But to wrap this episode, I wanted to share a list of free self-care things that you can do or implement in your life taken from Instagram because last week I asked you guys what are some of the best free tips, tools, resources, activities that you love to do for your self-care? And I got some really good responses. So if you really want to dig into these comments and get some ideas, you can go follow and find me on Instagram at kaylee.e.r. Otherwise, you can grab a notebook and get ready to write some lists down um, or simply take it all in and see if something inspires you. Something that I found helpful when I was really struggling with my mental illness was actually writing a physical list and visually seeing different things that I could do and check off when I needed to practice self-care. So if that's something that might be helpful for you, definitely grab a notepad, get your pen out, and take whatever you need from this list. So here we go. Okay, so the first response is from at the self-care studio. She says, love this idea of having self-care be accessible at different levels. Drawing, journaling, keeping a gratitude list can all be done for free and keep me going even if I'm low on extra cash flow. If I have a lot of money flowing, I will absolutely make travel plans, take trips to Ikea, paint a room, and do things that make my everyday life more comfortable and luxurious so I'm surrounded by good vibes. I love this idea of making your environment and your daily space more enjoyable. So investing in like home decor or candles or anything like that if you have the additional income. If not, sometimes like feng shui, like moving your furniture around can be helpful to brighten up your space and just refresh it a little bit. 
I used to do that all the time when I lived in Montreal in my studio apartment. It was just one big open square, so like the living room and the kitchen technically and bed space were all conjoined. So every couple months I would just like turn the bed or move the couch or move the table and it would just feel like a completely different space after I'd done that. My friend Kate Brownfield says, winter walks always calm me and recenter me in a way. And I love that she specified winter walks because I feel like when it's cold out, nobody wants to step outside, but sometimes taking a walk in the snow or in the winter when it's not like minus 20 can actually be really peaceful and like a meditative experience, but just in general, taking a walk, love it. Taking a walk and listening to a podcast, maybe this podcast or any other podcast that you're listening to right now, is one of my favorite ways to recenter and practice self-care. I don't know how to pronounce this username, but it's at A-E-Y-R, and she says, I used to think that spending money on self-care was a waste, especially when I was a poor university student. Now that I've got a steady income, I get my nails done at least once a month and enjoy the process of buying bath bombs at Lush. I could not relate to that more. At the Kate Audrey says, reading personal growth books, cuddling with my kitties, meditation, journaling, especially gratitude journaling, and long showers, sometimes even just leaving the house to get a coffee and feel the fresh air. As somebody who works from home, I definitely agree with just getting out of the house once in a while. If you're somebody who's at home a lot, sometimes just going on a quick walk to grab Starbucks or driving to McDonald's or just getting out of the house to do something can be a big mood changer. At Hannah Lou Wallace says, one of my favorite free self-care activities is just going to the ocean to listen to the waves. And I think Allie Beckwith, my friend Allie, would agree with that one. She's a big ocean girl. But even if you don't live by the ocean, if you live by a park, if you live by the forest, if you live by a lake, whatever it is, I think getting out into nature is really underrated. And if you can, don't take your phone or turn your phone on silent or turn off notifications. Connecting with the outside and the outdoors is free and can make you feel so good. At Mental Health with Kim says, cuddling with my dog, taking her for a walk, stretching, allowing myself a break, and calling my mom. I love the last one. I think connecting with your family is such important self-care if you have a good relationship with them. And also, pets are always the best self-care. You guys know that I love Rose and that she was like the best purchase of my life. I could not live without her. At Sheena underscore Brady says, long uninterrupted baths and listening to podcasts that fill my ambition and souls. I am a huge bath person and in my, in one of the apartments that I lived in, I didn't have a really great bath situation and I missed it so much, probably more than anything else in any other apartment. Now I do have a bath again and I probably have one or two baths a week. I think it is just such a great way to relax your body and to meditate for a bit. Like don't bring your phone into the bathroom with you, just run a bath, put on music. I like classical music or a podcast or read a book in the bath. These are all some of my favorite things to do. 
I like this one. This is from at barefoot.kels. She says, one of my favorite things is packing a lunch for an outing, whether a drive, boat day, or hike, having a picnic is fun. How fancy the lunch is is the only thing that changes on how money is that month. Hot dogs or ribs, sangria or 7-Up. Love that. At Abigail Victoria Marie says, I have several self-care habits that cost money and I've never personally felt guilty spending the money on them even when I was quote-unquote broke because I've always tried to make self-care a priority because nothing else in life will go right if my mental health isn't in check. However, my top free self-care habits would have to be yoga, meditation, and then in brackets she says, frustrating at first but amazing once you get the hang of it, sitting in the bathtub with the shower running on me, listening to a soundtrack that you breathe to, and also long drives with podcasts or your favorite songs so you can scream and sing along. I think the way that she described meditation was really on point because It is something that we talk a lot about in the self-care and mental health community, and yet it can be so frustrating if you have a short attention span, if you are distracted easily, um, if you're not doing a guided meditation. Sometimes there's this question of how do I even meditate? Am I doing it right? It's something that once you get the hang of it though, can be a really useful practice in your daily life. So if you've been hesitant to meditate before, I definitely would suggest Headspace as a great way to get into meditation. There's also Yoga Wake Up, which I've talked about before on this podcast, and it's kind of a mix between meditative recordings and yoga that you can do from home. So I'd recommend those two apps if you're looking to get more into that. At Sheppy Blooming says, I love to draw or paint silly puns and write letters to friends or send texts of how much my friends mean to me so that they feel the love and appreciation. I also love to get lost in a good book. I used to subscribe to BookBub so I could collect books for free or $1.99 on my Kindle to save money and space since I move a lot in grad school. Mostly, I just try to stop, take a breath, and tune into what my body needs. A lot of times it's putting on a movie I love and falling asleep early or stretching to rid my body of stress and tension. It ebbs and flows just like life. At Actual Rapunzel says, Sometimes I'll text somebody and say, I'm about to call you, don't pick up though, just because I want to leave them a voicemail. Something about talking to nothing while also talking to someone that you really cares about gives my mind a happy boost. I do it whenever I'm feeling stressed out and it totally helps. A little weird, but it's something that I do, lol. I actually think that's such a cool idea. I've never done that before, but that's kind of cool. It's a way to vent to someone or rant without having to worry about them kind of interrupting you or giving advice when you don't necessarily want input. You just want to be able to talk and then have somebody listen afterwards. At Jacqueline Stevenson says, resting in bed, just enjoying the quiet, and I also love to write cards or letters to friends. The cost of a stamp is not free, but cheap, and it brings me joy. That's so cute. At The Fashionable Crafter says, as an entrepreneur too, I started last year getting lash extensions. I find it makes me feel more put together, and it's so much quicker to get up and go somewhere with them. It makes me so happy getting them filled every three weeks. I had never been one to get services done, but it's just that pick-me-up that I sometimes need. 
I've recently focused my full-time attention to my business and this is the one thing that I splurge on. Lash extensions are becoming really popular and it's something I've thought about trying. Um, I'm glad that you found something that you like to splurge on. At JLopat says, spending time in nature, listening to inspiring and motivational podcasts, cooking a delish and healthy meal for myself and others. Cooking is something that is really big self-care for a lot of people and something that I really ignored for a long time, particularly I think because I have a history with eating disorders, but it's something I'd love to get more into now. At Austin Tassone says, reading, I just love reading physical books since it's time away from a screen. And then she was like, okay, I just realized that you might have to buy a book, but you could also borrow from a friend and go to the library. Can I just give a shout out to the library for a second? The Calgary Public Library, the new library is absolutely amazing. I forgot how great libraries were and all the cool things that you can do at a library until this new library opened because it's like this architectural masterpiece and so everybody's been wanting to go see it. If you have a library in your community, they're such amazing resources. Not only can you find books, read and learn things, a lot of times you can also borrow music, you can borrow audiobooks, you can get free downloadables, you can print things there, you can access the internet for free. There's so many things that libraries offer for free or for like a $20 yearly membership, depending on where you live. Um, definitely take advantage of those resources. At Display Rules says, listening to happy music and singing along, meditation, yoga apps, cat cuddles, and silly online quizzes like the ones on BuzzFeed. And you know what? Sometimes those silly things are just like what we need to brighten our day. They can seem really dumb and, you know, be trivial, but I love those online quizzes too. If anybody has any good ones, please send them my way. I love taking personality tests. I love like compatibility quizzes, anything like that. They're so fun. There's honestly quite a few more comments on that thread. Um, just so that you know, it's a photo of my pink outfit from Valentine's Day where all of these comments are under. So if you're going back in my feed, that's where you can find them. Hopefully this episode has helped in some way. This was more of a reflection and analysis for me. I'm hoping that this episode kind of lives as documentation as my life changes and as my income changes and as my mental health and self-care practices change this is just kind of a moment in time right now of what things look like for me and i want to keep bringing you guys on this journey so thanks for tuning in and until next week happy self-care sunday everyone mm -hmm.